Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to supply chain, business continuity, COVID, well-being, resilience, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find and I do respond to everything I get. Alternatively, you can go to alexfullick.com and you can reach me that way as well. We'll see about getting you on the show or finding someone else to come on the show to talk about something you wanna hear. And as a reminder, some of you may know, but please feel free, go over to YouTube for my channel, Preparing for the Unexpected, also brought to us by Stone Road. And you can see additional content that you may not hear on Voice America. Now, longtime listeners, you'll know that I talked about the BCI World Conference last year and BCI Horizons in 2021, and that my hope was I could get some of those speakers on the show to come on and talk about their topic or a different topic. Well, today is one of those days. Talking on the subject of how to improve supply chain resilience with your suppliers, I'd like to welcome to the show Zira Zhang. Zira, welcome to the show. Thanks, Alex, for having me on the show. Uh, my pleasure. Now, I know you and I have exchanged email and some information, but could you take a minute or two to tell us about yourself, what you do, and how you got into what you do? Yeah, sure. Um, well, hello, everyone. Uh, my pleasure to be here. Uh, I'm Zara Jun, uh, now working in Maersk uh, as a head of business resilience for lead logistics. Uh, my expertise is in business resilience, continuity management, uh, crisis management, uh, safety, security. Uh, I've been working in uh, working for more than uh, 14 years uh, in the logistic industries on the related jobs. Uh, I used to work for Quininago for almost uh, seven years in charge of uh, internal audits, uh, safety, security, environment, uh, continuity management for North Asia. Then later I joined Damco. Uh, Damco is also a brand of uh, Merska Group. Uh, I moved to the Netherlands uh, since 2018, uh, taking the role of a global head of uh, business resilience. Uh, I spent uh, 18 months uh, to build up a business resilience framework for Damco from the scratch. And I'm proud to say uh, Damco uh, Business Resilience received the uh, BCI award in 2020. Yeah, yeah, thank you. And actually the same year, I joined Maersk Ocean Logistics and I took my uh, current role uh, Maersk is uh, far much bigger than Damco, no matter the business scope and also the global presence. Uh, Maersk run uh, its operation in more than 130 countries. Uh, and then also uh, my uh, main job now is uh, to uh, develop the resilience strategies and framework, uh, guiding the, the country team to manage the disruptions and providing the consultants to our customers on supply chain resilience. 
uh, I, I like working in resilience. Uh, one of the reasons is that you always deal with the different situations. Uh, each crisis is different. Uh, and also working on supply chain resilience in a logistic company, uh, I'm able to connect with the customers from different verticals, uh, industries. So that's actually very challenging, to be honest, as it requests you to have um, um, some understanding of their industries, uh, their sourcing. Uh, so it's always a push you to learn something new, uh, but also that's why I like it. Yeah, thank you, Alex. Well, welcome to the show. And I just wanted to say that you mentioned Maersk. And to those listening and watching, we are going to be talking about that topic. I know everybody is thinking of right off the bat, and that was that Suez Canal incident uh, last year. So we will be touching on that. So stay tuned. So welcome again, Zara. Uh, I really appreciate your time and uh, being here today. So let's start off. What are the elements of supply chain resilience management? Yeah, that's also a very interesting question. Um, I usually I will refer to the ISO 22318, uh, the guidance on supply chain continuity. According to the ISO uh, 22318, there are four key elements surrounding the operational planning and the control activities. Also, just to help the audience here to memorize uh, these uh, elements, then also I will, for each element, I will use one word to, to sum up. So the first element, according to ISO, is a business impact, an, uh, impact analysis and a risk assessment. So this element is to learn and analyze what are the risks to business and how this could impact your supply chain. So also there are several tasks required under this element, for example, it's like a supply chain mapping, a business impact analysis, risk identification assessment, and also identify the continuity requirements. But use one word to summarize, that is analysis. So that's the first element. The second element, according to ISO, is a business continuity strategy. This is more about the solutions for supply chain resilience. So after you identify the risk and impact as describing the first element, then actually you have to come up with the solutions to mitigate the risk, monitor and manage the disruptions, and then develop the continuity strategies and options. So that's why we call it the solution part. The third element is uh, establish and implement business continuity uh, procedures. Also, you uh, use one word to describe execution. So this includes the implementation, training, education, and also you need to develop the assurance program to ensure you establish the procedures have been followed. This is for third element. And for the last element is exercising and a testing, or you can just briefly call it a testing. So this one is to exercise the plane and a test if the developer solutions is effective or not. And usually after that, you will have these, let's say, poster crisis or poster exercises review. That's procedures, that's process to help you identify what went well, what could be improved. So quickly, for just to help you memorize it, just a quickly wrap up, analysis, solution, execution, and testing. That's four elements. I have a question about the business impact analysis and risk assessment. 
are these the same um, processes that the business continuity professional performs, or is it a separate, different BIA? Yeah, well, uh, that's a very uh, good question. I would say that is slightly different because we are talking about uh, supply chain resilience, right? So the BIA and uh, uh, also the risk assessment is not limited to one organization, but also you have to map out the entire supply chain. So the supply chain mapping, I would say that is the, the, the biggest difference uh, uh, compared to the, the BCI standard. Because a BCI standard is more focused on the business uh, resilience. So it's uh, uh, the scope will be more focused on one single organizations. But you, can you take the, uh, the, the BCI uh, definition of, um, uh, the, the, of the BIA and enhance it to incorporate uh, the supply chain part? Can you, can you leverage the information to help, help yeah. a lot? Yeah, uh, as I mentioned, that uh, the biggest part is, uh, the, the, I would say the biggest difference is the supply chain mapping, right? Also, mm -hmm. as I explained uh, in the, um, the first elements, uh, the first step in the, for the first element is do the supply chain mapping. So supply chain mapping actually is not, you, you, won't, you won't find this in BCI standards, right? This is a, something very unique for the supply chain resilience. But what is the supply chain mapping? Supply chain mapping is to map out how the materials, how your resources flow, and also to identify which party are involved in the productions and the sale of the products. So in this process, the most difficult part is not just to map out your internal organization, your internal supplier, but also the external suppliers. And these external suppliers could be, you, you know, have a uh, layers, have, have a uh, different layers. So we, we know that the suppliers are usually can be uh, categorized into service one and the products one, right? Service one uh, is a quite a, uh, the common ones like a logistic company like Maersk. Product ones usually is more complicated because usually uh, it's a, uh, there are more uh, layers and also the relationship between suppliers are usually more sophisticated. So also I can give you examples just to help the audience understand about these uh, tiers of suppliers and what's the difference uh, compared to, to the uh, BCI ones. Is for, for examples, if we are an automotive company and our direct, uh, let's say the tier one suppliers could be the systems uh, uh, and the module suppliers, right? So we procured these system and the modules from the suppliers like a Continental, for, uh, like a, a Robert Bush. This is our, uh, let's say, direct contractors, right? That's a tier mm -hmm. one. And for these tier one supplier, for a Continental and the Bush, they actually need to uh, procure the automotive chips from their chip makers, automotive chip makers. So this could be the uh, company like uh, NXP uh, semiconductors or Texas Instruments. So such kind of a company. And also for this company, for Texas Instruments, they, if you compare to the uh, automotive company, it's, they already becomes the, the tier two suppliers for automotive company, right? And then if you go further deeper, it's in, actually for these uh, automotive chip makers, 
they also need to procure the chips and the wafers from the, uh, the assemblers, the chip assemblers uh, manufacturers. That could be the TSMC, SMIC. So what did we heard last year? It's a, a chip shortage, right? The global chip shortage. Why it's happened? Just to think about TSMC, this is the uh, global, the biggest chip uh, suppliers in, uh, global, and actually, you know, one this one company supply more than fifty percentage chips globally, and also if you talk about uh, you know specific on the uh, uh, you know the chips uh, uh, smaller than ten nanometers, then they actually account for ninety two percentage of a market share. So this single company, their factories mainly in China and Taiwan. And what happens in, in China and Taiwan last year? We see the, the, the strict the COVID lockdown uh, happens in China, right? That's mm -hmm. actually uh, disrupted their manufacturing, so it reduces their productivity. And also last year in Taiwan, they are also they have a, a major factories over there. These factories suffered uh, the, uh, the drought uh, last year. And uh, usually for chip uh, manufacturers, they use a lot of water. So this also uh, give a huge impact on their productions. So that's how oh, that's why we see uh, the the overall uh, you know the the productions that goes down. And also finally we see that uh, the impact has been passing downstream and finally hit the, the car manufacturer. And what we saw in the uh, the news uh, in the media is many uh, car manufacturers and many uh, car uh, makers. They have to, uh, you know, just uh, shut down or close, uh, stop their uh, production line because mm -hmm. of the, the uh, chip shortage. So you see, that's an, it's quite interesting. Huh? For the TS3 uh, suppliers, usually, you know, these are companies that they don't have the direct contract with automotive company. They're, when they suffer these uh, disruptions, then the impacts has been passing through. So that's also why it's important, you know, you always do the, uh, the right level of a supply chain mapping. And also through this process, you can actually identify uh, wh who are your critical suppliers, what are your critical uh, materials, and what are the, uh, where's your uh, key, uh, key dependency of your uh, uh, productions, and also to identify the business continuity requirement. So supply chain mapping, as you can see here, is some kind of you know uh, prerequisitions for the business impact analysis. So that's I would say the, the biggest uh, difference between the normal uh, you know the business resilience program uh, with the supply chain resilience program. I just have one quick question before before we take a break. How do you get started on that? Because <laughs> what let, let's say I you know Alex Fullick Incorporated and Zara Zhang uh, Incorporated, I just receive a final product from Zara, yeah. right? How do I go beyond that? You know because what a, a lot of times my supplier you know Zara let's say doesn't want to tell me who her partners are because the of non disclosure agreements and some some other things that get signed and so how do you go about? digging deeper to find out where all my stuff comes from mm -hmm. because you're just one piece of it yeah that's actually uh, that's a very uh, good question and also we see a lot of the manufacturer actually suffered from this because this issues is relevant to the information sharing and this usually causes a lot of problems 
And uh, what do we suggest for the suppliers, also for the audience, is if you want to do the supply chain resilience programs, always collaborate with your supplier and also think about it to develop the strategy partnership with them, especially for the critical suppliers. For the strategic uh, partnership, that also allows you, you know, uh, to establish the trust with your suppliers and also uh, uh, to start, you know, share some information with each other. Usually for manufacturers, they have a, a material we call the, the bill of a material. So basically it's a list of what are, uh, you know, elements, what are kind of a material you will use in your productions. So these kind of informations that actually can help you to start identify who are your suppliers and even who are your tier two, tier three suppliers. So that's, it's very critical as, as, as the example I just showed you, right? So uh, yeah, that's an... Okay. Well, on, that, on that, we're going to take our first break. We're talking about how to improve supply chain resilience with your suppliers. And we're talking today with Zara Zhang, and we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we are talking with Zara Zhang about how to improve supply chain resilience with your suppliers. There are lots of great information there uh, in the first segment. I really liked what you had to say about the BIA and taking it a step further. Um, I think that's going to be really helpful for a lot of uh, professionals uh, out there. Um, let's jump to something else you talked about, and that is contingency options and strategies. And you've got lots of information about this. Yes, uh, thanks, Alex. And actually, uh, for that part, the contingency options and the strategies, I think this is uh, also one of the most critical, but also uh, one of the most uh, difficult ones for the companies. Mm -hmm. So uh, let me uh, further explore uh, explore it on this part. So uh, again, uh, uh, referring back to the ISO uh, 22318, there are four options uh, for contingency. The first options we call accepted uh, status quo. So uh, usually uh, that, uh, you know, for supply chain resilience, you usually will face uh, limited resources and also you have a limited time. So, but, but uh, meanwhile, you got, got the thousands of uh, suppliers, right? So you, you can't really invest the equal time to uh, each, in the, uh, each of the suppliers. So what we do is also uh, uh, we, we can, uh, for this uh, as a strategies is we can accept the status quo of some suppliers, especially for the non-critical one, or especially for the ones that you can easily find the re replacement in the market. So that's the first options, you can just accept it. And then second options is a more interesting one, um, we call it the reduced, the dependency or increased the resilience. 
there are several strategies actually under these options. The first one, uh, we call it the multi-sourcing. So that is a use of multiple suppliers or multiple factories to supply the same products. The good things is, uh, is in these different suppliers or factories can be a backup for each other, but this usually results the increasing cost as the, um, this of course, against the, the economic of a scale, right? And also this adds the complexity of a supply chain management. But this is the first options you can take, multi-sourcing one. Also, we see a quite a common, uh, especially during the, the COVID situations. The second one we call increasing uh, safety stock. This is also very common solutions. And also we see a lot uh, happens in, uh, during the COVID disruptions. The uncertainties of the uh, supply at origin site usually will push the companies to increase their inventory at the destination site. Such usually will be in US and in Europe. And also what we see last years is actually that's also why the warehouses spaces in Europe and the US last years, you know, is getting so tight. Almost all the warehouses in the market is, you know, the capacity is very low. That's, that's also the reasons because all the companies, they see the disruptions in the supply chain. They just want to secure their supply chain and uh, what they do, they just increase their safety stock at the destination. That's what happened. Mm -hmm. But also when increasing the, uh, these, uh, you know, stock piling, somehow also intensify the bullwhip effect. We know that usually if you increase the, the stock at the destination site, which also means you have to place more orders at a, a origin site. So when these uh, cargoes are coming to your site, are coming to the destination, you probably you know, uh, the, the supply could be over the, the demand, over the, the, uh, the, the uh, volumes you need. So that's uh, the buoyed uh, effect. And uh, also here's a tip. Uh, sometimes the inventory is not necessary to be something you put in, the, in your warehouses, in your facility. You can also work with your logistic suppliers to, uh, you know, to uh, choose, for example, a longer lead time transport solution to have your inventory in transit. So that's also mm. just a more tips. So that's, a, I, I think that would be good, you know, for someone who wants to uh, increase the safety stock uh, level, but not too, you know, uh, much on the uh, inventory in the facility. So that could be a small tips. Um, and the, the third strategies we can take is uh, we call the uh, diversifications of uh, uh, productions. Uh, this is uh, to use original strategies to reduce the risk. For example, garments. Uh, you can have a different uh, series and the collections produced in different countries. Could be produced in China, uh, in, in Indonesia, in Bangladesh. And this is just to reduce the overall risk of the product family. So you can imagine no matter what happens in one single country, you at least, uh, you still have some products available in shops. So that's the benefit. And the fourth strategy we call the nearshoring. This is to have the manufacturing closer to the market and regionalize your supply chain. We see this also happened uh, in, uh, during COVID time. Some yeah. companies started changing their sourcing to Eastern Europe 
to uh, you know, get their manufacturing closer to the final consumer markets, just to, uh, to avoid uncertainties that happens you know, uh, during the long term, uh, uh, the long uh, distance uh, transportations, and also enable these companies to quickly adapt to the market change. So that's the benefit of near sharing. The fifth strategy we call platform product or plant harmonization. So harmonization, we can just uh, you know, simply interpret as a standardization. So this is uh, to use the standard parts or services across a product range. The purpose is to reduce the number of SKUs, uh, products or portfolios. So this, how, how, what's the benefit of doing so? Of course, uh, if, you, the, if your product can be more standardized or use more standardized components, that will reduce the complexity in your productions. Just imagine when you have 10,000 SKU or you have a 1 million SKU, the workload could be totally different. And also we see that some uh, 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 that happens, uh, just refer back to the chip shortage uh, cases. So that's also we see last year, you know, these uh, car ma uh, makers, uh, because of this uh, chip shortage, they also try to standardize the, you know, uh, their chip modules. Mm -hmm. uh, for a car, usually they need uh, more than 1,400 chips just in one car. So they try to cut off, because of this shortage, they try to cut off this customized component and try to use the standard chip uh, as much as possible. That's just uh, to simplify uh, their mm -hmm. uh, production. Mm. And, and the last strategies we can have uh, uh, to increase the resilience is uh, the, we call the uh, ecosystem. This is agreeing mutual uh, support agreements with uh, competitors to ensure the product and or services are delivery to the final customer. I would say this is a more customer oriented approach. And also sometimes this is driven by cost and it can bring mutual benefit. Some companies usually they will maybe they face uh, you know a penalty scheme uh, on, uh, based on their delays of the uh, supply. So just uh, to avoid these uh, huge amount of uh, penalties or compositions, the suppliers uh, can, even sometimes uh, they choose uh, to work with their competitors to ensure the orders can always be fulfilled. That's mm -hmm. also we, uh, for the ecosystem. That's for the second options. Now we move to the third option. Third options is to work with suppliers. Uh, there are several things also we can consider in, in this uh, uh, options is you need to develop the relationship with your critical uh, suppliers to understand their arrangements and also try to form a partnership based on the uh, mutual trust. That's actually also uh, echo back uh, to uh, Alex, your previous uh, questions. How we can share, ensure you know the suppliers to share us the information about the, their suppliers, right? right That's very right. important. Uh, for this part, actually, we consider to work with our suppliers and develop the strategy partnership. We, for this part, it's important that we share the information with each other and also the knowledge as well. And also together, we uh, to uh, we aim to in, uh, you know increase the signatures and also to work together to increase the uh, the supply chain resilience. And also for this part, when you work with uh, your suppliers, it's uh, it's better to make it clear 
under performance standards and also to align uh, the process at each side. Uh, this is uh, also to make sure that the business continuity and the recovery target is embedded into the supplier performance review and the process. To me, this is very important. Is that like um, a service level agreement that would capture yeah. something like that? Yeah, it could be like a service uh, agreement that you can capture that, or even you can set some KPIs or do the regular review on that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, and, and also for this stage, uh, you have to encourage your suppliers uh, to improve their resilience. Also, uh, I, I recommend, uh, actually, I, I suggested to focus on uh, three areas. The first one is a visibility of disruptions. You need to encourage your supplier to report and also to uh, establish the monitoring, uh, risk monitoring scheme. They should inform you whenever something happens and hits their supply. So this is uh, the, the, the first thing. The second area is an agility in responding to the uh, disruptions. This is the capability of the suppliers uh, to respond to a crisis or to a disruptions. Uh, for this capability, uh, that's including the process, including the knowledge uh, about how to handle, manage the situation, but also the structures. So for example, where they have a team to really uh, you know, capable to handle these situations. And the third thing is uh, a flexibility in uh, backup solutions. So also you need to evaluate your uh, suppliers, whether their solutions is uh, good enough in terms of availability, in terms of uh, cost or lead time. So these part of things also you need to consider when you evaluate their solutions. So uh, that's how we can work with our supplier. The last uh, options uh, mentioned in the ISO is uh, we call it the exit, uh, the relationship. So this one is usually for uh, the critical suppliers, but these uh, critical suppliers are, are reluctant, uh, you know, um, or even they are um, not reliable in their service or product suppliers. And also they are not, uh, you know, uh, cooperative to uh, improve their resilience at all. Mm -hmm. For such kind of uh, suppliers, to me, it's like, you know, the time bomb in your supply chain. So the possible and the best solutions is just to remove it. Uh, but also you have to be very careful when you do so, uh, because uh, this is also related to the change management. Think about that there are, uh, these uh, suppliers are critical to your uh, production. So better you uh, consider maybe a reduce the, the, uh, the dependency on them year on year, uh, gradually then just to avoid the, the overall impact. That's the four options uh, for the contingency uh, solutions, uh, solution and strategies. Uh, the, the last one, the option for exit the relationship, is that kind of a, uh, a last option when you've exhausted all of those other pieces that you talked about, you know, being flexible and agile and things like that, you know, and, and if somebody still doesn't want to mm. uh, collaborate with you, well, then it's, you find somebody else and say goodbye, right? Is that kind of like a last option to consider? Yes, uh, I, I would say that's uh, definitely the last option because and, and uh, we definitely should uh, consider first, uh, you know, try to establish the trust and the partnership with our suppliers. It should be the win-win uh, things we, we look mm -hmm. first. But if uh, they refuse uh, to uh, grow with you, refuse uh, to increase their uh, resilience with you, then yeah, 
probably you just uh, also have to uh, control your risk and try to reduce your dependence on them. And then say goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, the last thing I want to talk about in this segment is something that uh, you know I mentioned at the beginning that I know everyone was going to want to hear about because even I want to hear about it. <laughs> is uh, the case study regarding the Suez Canal. Can you talk about that? Because you work for Maersk, and every time we saw the, the TV, the only thing we ever saw was, you know, that big, big ship and the name Maersk on a lot of containers. So, you know, yeah. uh, could you talk about that for us? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, one more thing, uh, the ships across the Suez Canal block is not from Maersk, so... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but yes, uh, this is definitely an impact on Maersk vessel as well, right? Not only uh, Maersk. Uh, what happens in uh, Suez Canal, also just uh, to uh, quickly brief uh, to the audience. So actually, uh, there's uh, one vessel, uh, I don't want to mention the, uh, the company name. So uh, this uh, vessel has uh, blocked the, the Suez Canal uh, uh, due to the inclement weather, so the windies, uh, over uh, the windy conditions over there. And this caused a six-day blockage uh, of the canal. And this blockage has brought a huge disruptions to the supply chain globally because about 12% of a global trade was affected. And also more than 300 vessels was stuck there during these six days. So that's the overall impact to the entire supply chain. So for Maersk, as a logistics suppliers to us, it's very important, you know, uh, to support our customers uh, in their supply chain resilience. Uh, and also to uh, actually, we, we focus on three main areas when we uh, handle the, uh, the disruptions, handle the crisis. Uh, these three areas are uh, visibility, alternative solution, and the communications. So let's talk about the visibility first. So when incident happened, you can imagine what the first things customer will want to know. Where's my cargo? And has my cargo been impacted? So that's the, you know, the first questions they want to know. So to uh, these customers, actually they want to have the visibility of the disruptions. And also they want to know what's their impact to their shipments. For Suez Canal cases, a little bit different with the normal cases is every day, there are another 50 to 80 vessels added into the curing there. And the same vessels, because they don't want to wait there, they decided to reroute around the Cape. And the, so, so basically, which means the number of the impact, the cargoes are keeping change all the time. So that mm -hmm. is what it happens. So to provide the, the better visibilities, we actually work closely with our fleet management team. As Alex mentioned, we also have our vessels stuck there, right? So we work closely with our fleet management team to get the real-time vessel status. And then based on these vessel status, we can understand that how many cargoes has been stuck there. And also based on that, we can actually keep our customers informed and also to give them the full visibility of the impact of cargoes. So the visibility is important to customers and also that's how we resolve this for our customer. Second part regarding alternative solutions. So when we manage the crisis in Maersk, 
we actually engage the, the different product owners or, or you can say the business unit owners and also our commu uh, commercial peoples uh, to uh, analyze the impact and jointly develop the alternative solutions together uh, for the suicide canal cases. So we created the solutions based on the, uh, we call them the likely scenarios and the worst scenarios. So if the blockage continues, um, because when it's happened, you don't know how long it will, uh, you know, uh, get blocked, right? At the beginning, they said, ah, probably waiting for uh, another week or maybe uh, three days. So mm. it's, uh, it's a lot of uncertainty. So uh, actually, at a, uh, that's also why we developed the two different scenarios. So if the, the blockage continues, which means all vessel have to reroute around the Cape because the vessel cannot just uh, you know keep in waiting there for a month, right? So that's at least additional ten days for Asia to Europe trade lane, and also this means additional twenty two days for uh, Middle East to Mediterranean trade lane. So you can understand how uh, this impacted the trade lanes, how this impacted the business. And uh, given that impact, we need to uh, prepare the options uh, to our customers for sure. And especially these uh, customers, uh, uh, some customers are sensitive to the lead time. So for example, uh, the options we offer to them like a Merck Rail, uh, what we call the A18s, A19 services, that's a C, uh, that, that, sorry, that's a uh, intercontinental rail services from uh, Asia. Uh, to Europe directly through the intercontinental uh, rail uh, solutions. That's one option. And also we offer the, the CAR solutions uh, using uh, some of our uh, MERSC uh, hubs. So uh, it's more about uh, starting with the train, uh, sorry, starting with the ocean uh, transportation, then to some countries using our uh, own uh, air hubs to continue uh, the, the journeys and continue move the cargoes and, uh, by air. So this is also another solutions we offer to them. Just to give some examples. Ooh. These are actually support our customers uh, to uh, mitigate the impacts to their cargoes as much as possible. Uh, and also as a suppliers, uh, when your products or services are impacted, you definitely need to come up with this backup solution. Uh, this is a critical to any companies, just to ensure that your customers uh, uh, supply chain resilience. And the third thing, third areas, uh, is on communications. Uh, timely and effective communications over the disruptions is very important, as this is uh, to ensure you as uh, suppliers can always uh, keep your customers get the necessary information they want for their disruption handling. So uh, for most cases, uh, apart from you know, uh, twice a day uh, vessel updates, we also uh, engage our communication and the customer service team together to collect the, the customer feedback and the questions. Uh, the com our communication team actually based on the customer feedback to analyze the customer feedback and to try to understand what topics our customer are interested about. And then they try to make sure the topic will be covered or answered in the next update as far as possible. So you can see that we always uh, keep tracking the customer feedback, then make sure that uh, our customer's concern can be answered, can be covered.
So that's how MERSC do the communication. And uh, also, that's quite interesting. If you go to the um, MERSC website, you will find, especially if you search uh, Swiss Canal, and then you will get more information how we do the, uh, especially the customer communication, you will find that for Swiss Canal cases, we even have uh, some videos explaining about what's the strategy, how we make the decision, uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, to route some vessels around the Cape things. So, because this is based on the customer feedbacks, and uh, mm -hmm. they they're interested to know that how or why this vessel is uh, you know uh, change the route to uh, you know uh, to go through the the cave, why this vessel is still keeping waiting there. So this is uh, based on the customer interest. Uh, this is how Merska in general reacts to the Suez Canal, uh, and also uh, we as a, a suppliers at. Uh, actually, we definitely need to support our customers uh, in, in supply chain uh, resilience and, and especially for such kind of a global crisis. Uh, what we can do and actually can help our customers uh, to really mitigate the impacts. So yeah, that's a, that's a story. <laughs> that, that must have been difficult with the communications because when I, I'm envisioning um, the ships involved, they have hundreds of containers so there's got to be, um, you know, hundreds of customers you, that you're trying to communicate with. That had to have been the challenge in itself, that there were so many to yeah. different people to deal with. Yeah, exactly. So actually, uh, what, what do we, uh, let's say this. Um, uh, the most company, when we talk about the, the crisis of communication, they will think about uh, we should issue the customer anniversary. We should issue the customer letters, right? And put this on their website. That was the, the normal practice. But actually, also, I have to say, don't take for granted that a customer will go to your website to look at it. Mm. They, 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 in most cases, they won't. Even they go to, it's maybe another, you know, uh, timely manners. So what do we also suggest our customer service team is, don't take it for granted when the customer adversary is released, it's released, but also better, you just uh, to give up a follow-up call to our customers, especially to the local customer, to make them aware that what's the latest situations, or at least to make them aware there's the latest updates of the customer anniversary available on the website. So that's what we can do. And also for Maersk, I will say, uh, thanks to the digitalizations and these technologies, we do uh, uh, use these um, uh, the CRM system, the customer relationship systems, and also some other technology to ensure that the impact the customers could be uh, able uh, will be able to receive uh, you know these uh, uh, updates uh, these uh, uh, cargo information in a timely manner. That also uh, helps a lot. Great! I I was so glad to hear about the Suez Canal uh, piece and everything that happened with that. Um, and I know listeners probably wanted uh, to to hear that as well. So thank you so much for sharing all of that. We've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking with Zara Zhang today on how to improve supply chain resilience with your suppliers. And we'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. 
Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We are talking about supply chain resilience management with Zara Zhang. Zara, earlier on you talked about collaboration. So why is collaboration so important with supply chain resilience management? Hmm. Uh, supply chain itself is not working right. Uh, it's an internally uh, with a different department. It could be the your sourcing department, a planning department, a manufacturing, sales, and marketing. And also externally, uh, like uh, what I mentioned earlier, you have to work with your suppliers. So supply chain in general is not working with the different functions and the different uh, organizations. In case something happens, the impacts also I shared earlier is that the impacts can pass through the supply chain and finally hit you. Uh, that's a, uh, you know the, the cases I shared about the, the chip shortage. So it's important that we can collaborate with the different functions and different uh, organizations alongside these supply chains. Then we can allow ourselves to uh, receive these early warnings and to uh, you know to develop the capability to detect what has happened, so that's why it's in uh, collaborations is important, and in general I would say supply chain resilience is a teamwork. You can never ever achieve it by yourself. You always have to work with other functions and also always need to work with your suppliers. So that's why it's, uh, collaboration is important. Uh, and if you don't collaborate, you know, it's going to come back to, uh, you know, bite you in the end if something happens. Exactly. And, and if it happens anywhere along that supply chain. Yeah. Right. So now uh, I wanted to bring something up. Um, you do something on LinkedIn. Can you talk about that? Yeah, thank you, Alex. Uh, I actually, you know, uh, I'm passionate, as you can see, I'm passionate about these uh, supply chain resilience things. Uh, and also because of my role, I always uh, keep following uh, different medias, also the different channels to uh, keep an eye on the risks and the disruptions that might affect the supply chain. So what I have done on LinkedIn is in every Saturday, uh, usually uh, CET time or morning time. So I will uh, post uh, the top five uh, weekly uh, supply chain risks uh, on my LinkedIn account. Uh, and also, uh, actually, I find that uh, this could be a benefit to uh, the people, especially working on supply chain. So if you are interested, also welcome to follow me there. Well, um tell you what send me the link to yeah. where people can go your your link um and i'll include that in the uh, episode description so that people uh, have that link and then they can follow you and see what you have to say each week and you know hopefully uh, help themselves um, with their own supply chain issues sure thank you alex you're welcome now we still have uh, about two minutes left do you have any final thoughts that you'd like to convey regarding supply chain resilience management? Uh, 
yes, uh, the final thing is I want to say supply chain resilience is uh, super important uh, because uh, we are operating our business in an ever changing world, as you know, this as a full of uh, uncertainties and uh, disruptions. So no matter, remember, no matter how attractive your product is, if you fail to deliver it to your customers, then all the efforts is just a waste, right? So, but, but on, on the other way around, uh, if the product is maybe even not so competitive, but if you can always deliver it to your customers and you can, you actually buy yourself a chance, especially when your competitors make a mistake and fail to deliver it, right? Mm. So the supply chain resilience is fundamentals. So please invest your time, your uh, also your uh, resources on your supply chain resilience and capability buildup. And also to uh, try to develop your um, resilience uh, muscles and also your team. This is a battle of a survival, to be honest, for the companies. So that's why I think uh, the, the topic itself, uh, the supply chain resilience is a, a super critical so for the business that are operating uh, nowadays. Uh, that's, that's my last word uh, uh, for this, yeah. Well, great. On that note, we've come to the end of the show. Zara, thank you so much for sharing your expertise and your time with us today. I really appreciate it. Appreciate. And you mentioned, uh, you know, you are passionate about supply chain, and uh, obviously, I could see that. <laughs> it, it definitely came through. We could tell you're very passionate about supply chain resilience yeah. management. <laughs> so, and sharing your story, your experience with the uh, Suez Canal. Uh, I, I'm sure a lot of people uh, will be interested in listening to that piece again. So, thank you so much. I really appreciate it. And to everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.